0: Thank you so much, Christy. That was awesome, awesome. Well, good morning. I can't tell you what a privilege, what an honor it is to be with you today. I can't begin to tell you, as I'm sure every pastor, every speaker you've had this summer, I can't begin to tell you the influence this place has had on my life, and my children's life, and my ministry's life. Most of the years that I was a pastor, we would bring our students here, and it changed so many lives We can't even begin to understand on this side of eternity how many people have been touched by this place it's a very, very special place. Uh, I have an older son uh, who is um, a pastor now, and anytime we're here, anytime we're vacationing here or he is here, he will always come over and find one of those empty porches and he'll just sit in those rocking chairs, have his quiet time, devotional time. All of our children today love Jesus and serve Jesus and a lot of that is because the influence of this place and the time they spent here. Hal Norton was a mentor to me, very, very special person and In fact, I don't don't remember the date, but it was a year that Hal retired. He let me preach here, right here. And I was just a young pastor pastoring a small church, and I was a little bit intimidated, and got done with the message, and I walked with Hal out the back door, and we're standing right back there on that same back porch. A little lady comes up to me, and she shakes my hand, and she looks right in my face, squarely in the eyes, and she said, I drove all the way from Ohio to hear Hal Norton preach this morning. Well, Hal's standing there grinning, and I feel about this big, and it certainly was not a confidence builder for a young pastor. But this place, I can't even begin to tell you how much it means. I'm sure not only to me, but to so many people. If you have your Bible today, and I hope that you do, we're in Hebrews chapter Twelve, Hebrews chapter 12, I just want us to look at verses 1 and 2, and I want to speak with you this morning on running the race of life, running the race of life, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, therefore, since we also have such a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance. And the sin that so easily entangles or ensnares us, and let us run with endurance, the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we worship you. We praise you. And, yes, Lord, we thank you for the history of this place and all the lives that have been touched. Father, we also look forward to those who are yet to be touched, the lives that are yet to be changed. So, Father, we just pray for that and place that into your hand. And, Father, today we pray that you might speak, that we might hear you, and that what we hear we might implement into our lives. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Life is a race. It's not a sprint. It's a distance race. It's a marathon. We have any runners here? Any runners in the house? Any distance runners? Any marathoners? Or even ultra-marathoners? I always wanted to be a distance runner. But as you can plainly tell, my body type doesn't lend itself to that type of activity. Oh, but 40 years and 40 pounds ago, I, I was doing a lot of running. I was into LSD, not the drug, but long, slow distance. It was so very therapeutic. In fact, I had gotten in pretty good shape, and I decided I would enter a race. Now, it would just be a 5K, but I was running the race. I wasn't leading the race. I wasn't in the back of the pack. I was somewhere in the middle of the race, but I was feeling pretty good running the race, and it, it was about 200 yards left. I was feeling really good. I said, I'll I'll start my kick. And I obviously started it a little too soon. And about 100 yards from the finish line, I'm thinking, man, I'm struggling here. But all the people are at the finish line, right? At a race like that, anybody who comes to watch the race, they're all there at the finish line. They want to see the end of the race. So I'm pushing it on. And about 50 yards before the finish line, a six-year-old boy runs past me and finishes ahead of me. I'm embarrassed. I am discouraged. I'm embarrassed, and I will never run another race. Well, 15 years pass, and I'm running again, and I'm in pretty good shape. And I said, I'll run a race. Once again, I enter a uh, 5K And I'm running the race. Again, I'm certainly not leading the race. I'm not in the back of the pack. I'm I'm somewhere in the middle. And once again, about 200 yards away, I said, I feel pretty good. I start my kick. And then I started having a flashback. I started remembering that six-year-old boy. And I I said, there's no way that can happen. And it did not happen. It was not a six-year-old boy. It was a 67-year-old lady. I know you're not supposed to ask a woman her age, but I did. I just got I to know how old is she I'm 67 years old. I said I'll never run another race, and I haven't. Embarrassed, discouraged, disappointed. But you know, life is a lot like that. As you run the race of life, you hit the wall. As you run the race of life, there are setbacks, there are failures, there are disappointments. But I want to encourage you today. Run the race. Run the race that's set before you. The Bible makes several comparisons to living the Christian life. Soldiers in an army. Children in a family. Stones in a wall. Members of a body. And yes, runners in a race. And I love the athletic imagery here in Hebrews. I I played sports. I like sports. I watch sports, but I'm not a fanatic. I'm amazed today at some of the fanatics. I Here's somebody that will live and die with a college team, and they never even attended that college, never even played at that college, but, I mean, they live and die. Fanaticism. I, I, I just, it, it blows my mind. So, several years ago, one of our sons was uh, playing college baseball, and he was pitching against the University of South Carolina in Columbia. He was a starting pitcher that day. Well, way back in the dark ages, I played baseball at South Carolina, and the media kind of made a big deal out of that. You know, this young man starting today against South Carolina, his dad pitched for South Carolina back in the dark ages and on and on, and, and so we're at the game, and we're in the stands, and there's a South Carolina fanatic sitting beside me. Now, now i Played at South Carolina. I watched South Carolina. But, you know, if South Carolina wins or loses, it makes absolutely difference in, no my, in my life. I mean, my life does not change a bit when I wake up the next morning. Win or lose. Yes, I, I pull for one another. But here's a fanatic sitting beside me. My son is out there warming up, and, you know, he, he's aware of what's happening. he looks over at me, and he says, who are you pulling for? I, I said, seriously? He said, uh-huh. I mean, you went to South Carolina. You've, I said, Look, brother, I don't have any skin in the game with South Carolina. I literally have skin in the game here. I've got to live with that guy. Uh, but it amazes me the fanaticism of sports today. The writer of Hebrews understands this because it was the same way in their day. Same way. Cicero. The historian was greatly dismayed when he wrote that athletes in biblical days received more attention and more adulation than victorious generals coming home from battle. Well, of course they did. And times have not changed a whole lot. So the writer takes this imagery and he uses it so that we can relate to it, we can understand it. Their culture was so much like our culture. They had the Isthmus Games, the Parthenon Games. They had the Olympics. We had the Olympics. Their Olympics consisted mostly of track and field events, and there was the marathon that would take them out into the countryside, through the city, and it would always conclude in the stadium. And in the stadium... And you still see remnants and relics today if you go to the old countries of these stadiums. Thousands of people, spectators, fans, the emperors in his luxury box. And the athletes are on the field competing. And they're running this race. Verse 1 opens by saying, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now those aren't fans so to speak they're not spectators they're people who've already run the race those who've already gone before us so if they're passing the baton to us and hebrews chapter 11 we see god's hall of faith great men and women of the bible those folks And not only those folks, but those who have already run the race, those who've gone before us, those who have been faithful in running the Christian race. Now, I know some people look at this passage and they say, well, those people that are watching us, that's that's our parents who are in heaven. That's our grandparents in our heaven that are in heaven. Those are other Christians, and they're looking down at heaven, looking down from heaven at us. And I, I don't know. I, I hope they're only seeing the good stuff, if that's true. And if they're watching my life, they're going to be awfully bored. I love what Francis Chan said here. Francis Chan said, and I think about something. He said, "They're in heaven. Jesus is on his throne. All the glories, all the majesties of heaven, the angel, the cherubim, don't you think they're looking at that? I don't know. Maybe they get a glimpse. But whatever the case, those who've gone before us, those who have run the race, it's as if they are encouraging us as we run the race today. So let's run the race. Let's dive into this scripture just for a moment today. And how can we be successful in running the race? Living the Christian life with meaning and with purpose. Number one, we must enter the race. You got to get in the race. And we enter the race when we are saved, when we are born again. When we place our trust, belief, and confidence in Jesus. You see, salvation is not the award we win at the end of the race. It is the gift that qualifies us to run the race. Has there been a time when you believed in Jesus? When you entered the race? I'm not saying you need to remember the date. I remember my date, December the 20th of 1981. My wife does not remember her date, but she knows there was a time and her salvation is just as real as mine. Sometimes I think more real. But there had to have been a time when we said, Jesus, I'm surrendering to you. I believe in you. I'm trusting you. If you've never done that, I pray you would do that today. Now is the time to enter the race. Place your trust and your faith and your confidence in Jesus. We live in a spectator-oriented society. We like to sit back and we like to watch and analyze and study and criticize. And a lot of people do that with the Christian life. Let me just consider it for a while. Let me analyze it for a while. But they never get in the race. Churches are filled with spectators who just come to be entertained. And they just come to watch what's happening. And they'll critique it, they'll criticize it, or they'll compliment it. But they never get in the race. We must enter the race by believing and trusting in Jesus. Secondly, we must overcome adversity in the race. Look at verse 1 again. Verse 1 says, Lay aside every weight and sin which easily ensnares us. There are two hindrances to running the race. Weight and sin. Notice, first of all, the weight. Some translations say hindrances. I heard a runner say one time that he lost a race that he should have won because he was just a couple of pounds overweight. Boxers are disqualified from even fighting if they're a pound overweight. I was in an NFL training camp, and this was 40 years ago, and you were you had a weight. What you were supposed to weigh. And you were fined $100 per pound every day for every pound you were overweight. That was a lot of money back then. That's a lot of money now, especially for those who are really overweight. But have you ever seen runners, even marathon runners, they don't wear a lot of clothes, do they? I mean, it's light. I mean, even in the dead of winter, even at freezing time, they'll have on the toboggan and gloves and you know, sleeveless shirts and shorts and... and That's it. Now, there's nothing wrong with an overcoat. But you don't want to wear it to run a race. And this weight, this hindrance in our life may not necessarily be a bad thing. It may be okay in and of itself. But it slows you down. It weighs you down. All you old athletes, remember back in the day, you'd wear ankle weights and, and uh, wrist weights, and you'd do that when you trained, but when it came time to compete, you'd take those off because it would slow you down. It would weigh you down. I mean, how many things in our life today that are okay in and of themselves, they're not necessarily evil, but they weigh us down. They hinder us. Think about social media. Now, social media can be evil, but you can redeem social media and use it for good and for God. But if it consumes all of our time, all of our energy, all of our attention, it can become a weight that slows us down. Lay aside every weight, every every hindrance. So in the spiritual race, in the Christian life, what's weighing us down? It may be good. It may not be bad. But let's put it aside if it hinders us in running the race. And then he talks about the sin. Now, while a weight can slow us down, that sin in verse 1 can trip us up. It can ensnare us. It can entangle us. Now, we'll never be sinless. But when we sin... Deal with it. Let, let, let you know, confess it, repent of it, and continue in the race. There, there are a lot of people who will sin and and they'll be so devastated by it they'll just drop out of the race. No, there's a biblical remedy for that. We confess it, we repent of it, and by God's power we continue on. But is there some type of sin that's slowing us down? We need to avoid it. We need to deal with it, repent of it, get rid of it. The great enemy of the distance runner is fatigue. And sin will wear us out. It will exhaust us. I don't know who it was. Maybe it was Adrian Rogers that, first of all, said this. Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you there longer than you want to stay, and cost you more. Then you want to pay. So in running the race of life, lay aside every weight and cast off every sin that can easily entangle us. And then thirdly, we need endurance for running the race. We need endurance for running the race. Again, in verse 1, let us run with endurance the race set before us. Don't stop, friends. Persevere. It's always too, too, too soon to quit. Too many people are dropping out of the race. Too many people my age and even older, I mean, they, they're getting close to, close to the finish line, and they, they still drop out of the race. Don't stop. Persevere. Don't quit until you hit the finish line. And when is that? That's when you see Jesus either in His coming or in your going. That's when you hit the tape. Now, wouldn't it be great to be alive in the generation in which Jesus returns? That, that would be great. And, and chances are, things are ripe. I mean, Jesus could return in our time. And if He does, we hit the tape. Or, in our going, in our passing... When we see him face to face, the Bible says we will be as he is. That's when we hit the tape. That's the finish line. So don't stop. Let me encourage you today. Continue on. Some of you are going through some incredible trials. Health trials, financial trials, family trials, job trials. Let me encourage you to persevere. Don't ever give up. Too many people give up too soon. Revelation 2.10 says, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Napoleon Hill, who studied the life of many successful people, said there was one common trait in all successful people that he studied. It wasn't skill. It wasn't talent. It wasn't even attitude. It was perseverance. They persevered. They did not quit. Any of you ever read Max Lucado? Max Lucado, who's published over 100 books, he could not get his first book published. He tried and he tried. No one would publish his first book until one publishing company said, We will publish your book on one condition. You won't ask us to publish anymore. This is it. We're done. Boy, that publishing company missed out, didn't they? Uh, sold over 130 million copies and written over 100 books. Any, Any of you older crowd remember Norman Vincent Peale? Power of Positive Thinking. He wrote that book, and 12, a dozen, a dozen publishers rejected his book. He took the manuscript. He threw it in the trash can. His wife said, let's try one more. He said, I forbid you to take that out and mail it to anybody. She took it out. Story goes, she bailed the waste paper basket and all. She didn't disobey him. She was submissive. Why? She wrapped it up. and, And she sent it to one more publisher. Positive thinking. People who run the race successfully have that knack about them. They persevere. They endure. They overcome adversity. They get up when they get knocked down. I heard a story sometime ago about a college football coach, a young coach. He was about to go on his first recruiting trip. He was going to go to a Friday night high school football game. Uh, The team was looking at certain players that could possibly play at the next level at their school. But before he went on this trip, the old football coach called him into his office, the old wise head football coach. He said, young man, I just want to make sure you know what you're looking for. So let me ask you a question. He said, suppose you have your eye on a player, and he's running down the field, and, and during the play, he gets knocked down, but he stays down. Do we want him? And the young coach said, no, sir. He got knocked down. And he stayed down. We don't want him. old coach said, okay, now you're watching that same player. He's running that field. He gets knocked down. And he gets back up. He gets knocked down again. And that time he stays down. We want him? The young coach said, no, sir. We don't want him. Even though he got up the first time, he got knocked down again. Uh, we don't want him. He stayed down. Old coach said, that's right. But suppose you're watching that player. He's running down the field. He gets knocked down. He gets back up. He gets knocked down. He gets back up. He gets knocked down. He gets back up. And he finishes play on his feet. Do we want him? And the young coach said, no, sir. We don't want him. He said, yes, sir. We, we want him. That, that's what Because every time he got knocked down, he got back up. And the old coach said, no, son, we don't want him. We want the one who's knocking him down. Yeah, yeah, we do, right? But there's something about the guy who keeps getting back up. There's something within people that can just, uh, they just keep getting back up. They just keep persevering through the exhaustion. They have that endurance. How do you do that? How how do you do that when you hit the wall? How do you do that when you're exhausted? The writer of Hebrews tells us in verse 2, we look, To Jesus, look at verse two. Keeping our eyes on Jesus. When running a race, where do you look? It's amazing, you know. Some runners look at other runners. Some other runners look behind them. Some runners look in the stands. Some look at themselves and look at their form. A champion hurdler said, "I don't even look at the hurdles." I look at the tape. I look at the finish line. That is my focus in running the Christian race, living the Christian life. Too many of us look at other Christians. Too many of us maybe even look at ourselves and just become self-absorbed with our own form and how we're living. The writer of Hebrews says, look to Jesus. Focus on Him him there will be difficult days somebody said the Christian life is hard it's not hard it's impossible and there's no way that we can successfully live the Christian life and will never be sinless but there's no way to live it without Jesus without focusing on him that's what it's all about he is our focus first Peter Chapter 2, verse 21 says that we are to follow in his steps. Other people will let us down. We will let ourselves down. But Jesus will never let us down. He will never leave us, He will never forsake us. Verse 2 says, He is the author and finisher of our faith. That's the beginning and the end. He is the beginning. We walk with Him all during and at the conclusion the pioneer and the perfecter, the author and the finisher. Jesus was tempted as we are, yet he perfectly ran the race. He was without sin. And even all those heroes of chapter 11, all their faith together cannot match Jesus. Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. Look to him. I love that story of Peter walking on the water. You know that story, right? Peter's walking on the water. And as long as his focus is on Jesus, his attention, his eyes focused on Jesus, he was fine. But what happened? He took his eyes off Jesus and put them on his circumstances the storm, the wind, the thunder, the rain, the lightning, the waves. And he started to sink. But there was Jesus. There was Jesus to reach down and to save him. Start your day with Jesus. Walk with him throughout the day. Focus on him. Look to him. And at the end of the day, once again, put your eyes on Jesus and thank him. Thank him for the day. We have an opponent. We have an adversary. And it's not other runners, by the way. It's the devil. He wants to divert us. He wants to distract us. He wants to destroy us. So keep focused on Jesus. Focus on Him. Verse 2 said, He endured the cross. It's scorning and it's shame. We'll suffer in the race. Now, we'll never suffer like Jesus suffered. Well, we might physically, to some extent, we might emotionally, from to some extent... But not spiritually, when he who knew no sin became sin and died in our place. Yet verse 2 says, in spite of all of this suffering, it was the joy, the joy set before him. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father. How could he have joy? Well, John 17, 4 gives us a key. He gives, gives us a little clue. Jesus glorified the Father on earth by completing the work, by finishing the race that God had given him to do. He lived his life to the glory of God. See, our goal in running the race is not heaven. We already have that. If you believe in Jesus, you have heaven. Our goal in running the race is to glorify God. First Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, wherever you go, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And when you seek to glorify God with your life, in spite of your circumstances, there can still be that joy, that deep-seated joy and contentment in your life. He sat down at the right hand of the Father. He finished the race. So run the race to glorify God in all that you do. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. Paul is writing, and Paul says this, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is close. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. And there is reserved for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. So friends, let's run the race. If you're not in the race, I encourage you, get in the race, believe in Jesus, trust in Him, and then run the race, have endurance in the race, persevere, keep your eyes on Jesus. That's how you get endurance, keeping your eyes focused on Jesus and living your life, running the race of life to the glory of God until you hit the tape, until you hit the finish line. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, thank you.